Welcome to the Great Lakes Golf Podcast, Season 2, Episode 18. Alongside Hunter Pulaski, I am Peter Garber. We are presented by Reed Furniture in downtown Petoskey. Whatever your furniture need, it's Reed indeed. Well, better late than never. On a Thursday morning edition of the Great Lakes Golf Podcast here, hopefully you can listen to us while you watch first round action of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Of course, we'll have a preview of that and our picks for the week. But before that, we got to recap the Farmers Insurance Open. What a week it was. Torrey Pines delivers yet again. Luke List finally gets his first PGA Tour victory. Will Zalatoris, another runner-up finish. We'll also take you around the tours and talk about the hottest topics in golf. Thanks for listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, at theticketnorthernmichigan.com, and we're also on radio Wednesday nights at 7, 93.7 FM, The Ticket, in Traverse City and Cadillac, 104.7 FM, The Ticket, in Charlevoix, Petoskey, Boyne City area. Let's go. Can we just start at the start? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So been a rough week yeah a little bit of a little bit of a bug going through the household here hunter and i attempted to do a regular tuesday recording which i was looking back on that given that it's thursday morning now that was definitely biting off more than i can chew that was not wise on my part that ended which i don't even think hunter knows with me spilling a glass of water all over my mic and my laptop. So I'm not even sure if we were disconnected when I was chucking my laptop onto my bed, cursing, looking for paper towel, trying to clean up the mess that I had created while I was simultaneously trying to hold in my, trying not to puke. Do you have a a stomach bug? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I quickly gave up on that. And then, of course, my nanny got the stomach bug. So she couldn't work yesterday, which meant I was in charge of the childcare, which meant no podcast. So here we are on a Thursday morning, and we get a nice little, you can listen to us today while you're watching the golf on ESPN Plus or or whatever at, at work. You don't have to listen to the bad announcing. You can just listen to Hunter and I give you bad picks. You could do that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that seems like a, a fair compromise. I and I just had to get on because Maverick McNeely is going to win the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. <laughs> For being such a big field, I don't know if I've ever heard some, somebody's name mentioned so many times pre-tournament than Maverick McNeely. <laughs> I know. It's out of control. <laughs> Every single person who has an ounce of knowledge of golf is saying that Matt McNeely is going to win this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. So I was I hope texting. You, hope you I didn't started... come for breaking news because you don't know if you got any. <laughs> me and everybody else, yeah. I started making the making my claim on, it was nice to have, like, it was like Sunday was like a research day because I felt like I was, a, despite the podcast being two days late, I felt like my routine was a day ahead. <laughs> the farmers ending on saturday was awesome like sunday i was like whatever i'm not working today i can look at 
golf numbers. I can look at all this course history. I can look at this 100 to 125 range. You know, like I can really figure out, I have enough time here to figure out who's going to win this week. And it was immediately and abundantly clear that Maverick McNeely is going to win this tournament by at least 10 strokes. So I started making that claim on Sunday and thinking, boy, am I smart. And then I saw the number come out on Monday and it was 25 to one. I was like, okay, that's about a full 20 to 30 points lower than he's ever been priced. So the extra day of prep for golf gamblers benefited the casinos more than anyone else. Cause I think by the time they published odds, they knew, well, everybody's going to, everybody wants to bet McNeely this week. So we can basically price him wherever he, wherever we want. And as a result, they have suckers like me, you know, putting their remaining account balances on, on the 25 to one for Maverick McNeely to win this week. Which is crazy because I have him at eighteen to one on Barstool. He's the yeah, fourth should... fourth lowest guy on the board, <laughs> behind Cantley, Spieth, and Jason Day. And so, if he doesn't win, we're all in just an embarrassment. He better at least. I backed it with a top ten, top twenty. I still saw you get like a plus one seventy five. I don't know. It's getting bet down so hard, and so many people are touting him that I don't know what kind of numbers are out there right now, but I think I got a plus 175-ish to top 10 mm-hmm. to back up the outright, which I thought was it's definitely not fair, but I have one of those, you know, feel it in my plums kind of things going here this week with McNeely. And I also really like Lanto Griffin, so. Lanto or Lanto? Um, what a what a name, huh? I guess Lanto is what I thought, but that could be. I mean, that could be totally wrong. I don't know. Why so he was in like the fifty range, which I thought was reasonable. But anyway, we can get a little bit more into that. But should we go around the tours? And we need to talk. Let's talk quickly about the farmers, which yeah delivered yet again as it always does. Yeah, let's start with the farmers. I thought it was. Uh, I. I'm sure it's been said several times, but I love the Wednesday through Saturday um, tournament. I think it makes a ton of sense during football season, at least. Um, I mean, we get we get golf a day earlier than what we typically would, and and it's and then it frees up Sunday for football. So, did you not miss golf on Sunday then? Um, no, because am I am I correct in saying that? Was Michigan State, Michigan on Sunday or was it on Saturday? That was on Saturday. Okay. I feel like there was something that I watched on Sunday midday well, m- to kind of fill the that. time. Yeah. Football, I think, started at 3.30 or 3, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's plenty of college basketball on network TV this time of year, so it may have been that. But I think the were the ladies on network TV, LPGA? I looked for it on Sunday because I, I know I loved the Wednesday through Saturday too, but still it was like a noon one on Sunday or whatever. And I was like, you know, I was Jones and to watch somebody hit a golf ball still. And I believe they were on the golf channel. That shows you what a sick, sick person I am. I have this incredible, this incredible tournament, you know, on one of my favorite golf courses that I've ever played, just a place that I, you know, love dearly. 
and it's like 12 hours removed from that maybe 10 hours removed from that i'm like looking on my phone and looking on my tv for more <laughs> golf to watch but how about your boy willie z the week after i won in dundum i was feeling great i played rom and zalatoris in like all a ton of my DraftKings lineups Finau ruined my DraftKings lineups but and that top 20 obviously didn't hit but it was a great gambling week for me it was basically a lot of what we thought was going to happen came true I won and done Zalatoris so that was a great sweat coming down the stretch there and then sure enough I was thinking of you as he hits it to 10 feet or whatever on the 72nd hole last week saying, I'm worried about Willie Z. Have you seen this putting stroke? Doesn't seem like it's getting better. And there's a basically dead straight putt <laughs> up the hill from 10 feet to win your first PGA Tour event. And just in my opinion, just hit it too soft, I thought. 100%. If he hits that firm, I think it, I think it holds his line long enough to drop. Hundred <laughs> percent. So it was funny because I was like, "Oh, Hunter, Hunter was just talking smack." It was like the curse, like the Manning curse, like the Hunter curse. Hunter's like ripping Willie Z. Here he goes. He's about to win this golf tournament, and then sure enough, he gets to the finish line. And what happens? You're completely vindicated because he can't, you know, he can't finish the deal with his with his flat stick. No, and I mean, and then I. And I'm, I'm trying to even remember what happened on his 73rd hole. Where did where did I know where his shot ended up? Where did his putt end up? It was like a 12, hit, 12 foot putt, I think. It was like on the he hit to the middle of the green and kind of tried to start it to get it to fall down. He hit it in a similar spot. Oh, it was, he it hit was. It on the 72nd hole. He was a little bit farther away. It had come a little bit farther down the down slope, so he kind of had a similar putt from longer range, and he looked like he hit a dead pull. Oh, I probably did because he hated it from the moment he hit it, and he knew it wasn't going in. Now, granted, he hit it much firmer, so I think that was in his mind after what happened on the seventy-second hole. And as golfers know, you're trying to really firm a putt. You might release it a, a little earlier. You know, it's more likely you're going to hit that putt left then right when you're trying to hit it harder you're going to jam it or release it or whatever the case may be so yeah you just kind of hit a jammy pull over about a cup cup outside on the on the left but that's i saw something a few weeks ago somebody was like is, is will will zalatoris the next charles howell and i can't tell you how many career victories charles howell has but I can tell you he probably has a fewer – his ratio of wins to earnings, you know, is probably on the low end compared to most tour players because he has such great consistency, always seems to be making cuts and playing good golf, particularly on the West Coast. And if you think four or five years ago, you know, he was almost – had a reputation as being somewhat automatic from the ball striking standpoint. And – short game has held him back and as you pointed out how much better at putting do you get as you go through your career you can work on it and get better but you know putting is kind of a young man's game 
So I don't know. It, 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 such a fascinating career already to this point for Will Zalatoris and obviously going to be really interesting to watch moving forward as well. But he played a hell of a tournament. He played fine on, on Sunday. I know he would have liked he had a couple chances a little earlier, but he also had recovered nicely on 17 after hitting a, you know, kind of his driver started going to the right a little bit, but, and then of course we got to talk about Luke list who was on a, who was a Tory, uh, great course history guy at Tory. And a lot of people were on last week. And I also played him in DraftKings. not enough to overcome the, the phenom miscut, but, um, Boy, he was just a – that shot in the playoff was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's a very good case of – I thought we were going to have a – what Masters was that when it was Rose versus Sergio in the playoff, and I thought we were just going to play for like 12 holes because nobody could make a putt. That's what I thought was going to happen. I thought we, I thought we were going to have a Sunday finish just by default because I didn't think Luke List and, and Will Zalatoris aren't exactly premium – or cream of the crop putters by any means. I think Luke List is like 211th um, this season. So just to see him, like the definition of <laughs> if you can't putt, hit it close enough so you don't have to putt. So, I mean, it was a it was a hell of a shot. What do you shoot, 65? I was looking that up, 65 on Sunday? Yeah, Torrey delivered again. Six, 66 on Sunday. 60, Sunday, 66, and then a birdie in the first playoff hole. Um, then real quick before we move on, how how – that was such an odd situation in the playoff where they both hit it right next to each other in the bunker on 18. Did you not Weird find game. that to be just, first of all, that little cutout to the right there in that right bunker is brilliant design because guys seem to find that front right quadrant of that bunker and the slope and the lip there are such that you really cannot advance the ball very far. I thought that that second shot that Luke List hit out of his semi-fried egg lie with what looked like probably a pitching wedge or a nine iron, he had to advance it at least 100 yards. That was a phenomenal shot. Like the, the crews kind of glossed over it. I think it was Dottie who was like, oh, he's hit that at least 100 yards. It's pretty good or whatever. I'm thinking – that's an incredible shot from that lie guys with a ball sitting right next to his own ball. I don't know how you felt about that. And then Willie Z has to call in an official. What the hell were they talking about? He's like, I thought he was going to almost be penalized because he started petting the sand right in front of his ball. I would have been very curious to see how this whole thing would have transpired a year ago or two years ago, whenever this rule got changed. So you can touch the sand more now, but it did. I mean, I saw a still shot of Luke List caddy, um, Reaper, or what's the what's the word for it? There's a there's a word in the golf book, but essentially like fixing the lie to make it back to what it was before Luke List hit. That would be a, that'd be a scary job. I don't really think that anything would happen. Even if, even if Luke's or even if Will's ball did move, I don't think there would have been a penalty on either player. But. It was, it was, that was a high that was a high anxiety moment on the broadcast. Yeah. I was watching that rake go by that ball thinking, dude, you are too close. Stop doing that. You're gonna that ball's gonna move. Probably not realizing it doesn't really matter if the ball moves. It's just trying to restore the lie to whatever it was. But. Yes. 
Um, yeah, just a lot, a lot going on in that, in that playoff. Yeah. Once again, Tory delivers two phenomenal ball strikers. No surprise. You got to be able to hit the ball. Uh, flush far and high to win at Tory Pines. There's Willie Z and Luke List, two of the better ball strikers on, on tour right now. Come through there and then List gets it done for. It's also nice that, you know, that, that was List's first PJ Tour victory, right? It was. Yeah, 30, hard to believe 37, I think, something like that. Hard to believe he's been on tour as long as he has and has had as successful a career as he has, and that's his first PGA Tour victory. But it's always fun when you go to a playoff and you're like, sweet, for one, one of these guys, it's going to be their first. Exactly. And both because you're happy for both those players to be where they are, and secondly, because neither of those two players has a clear advantage in terms of playoff experience over or winning experience over the other. I don't know if Luke List has been in playoffs before. I imagine he's probably been in at least one, but, um, you know, I just thought that it was just fun the way that it all, way that it all came together. Yeah. Uh, worth mentioning, cause I had to look it up now. Charles Howell has three PGA tour victories came on tour darn near the worst possible time turned pro in 2000. <laughs> just got hit with Tiger Woods for the next 18 years of his life. <laughs> well, it's funny that it's also during the broadcast and then we can move on to the other tours, but they're like talking about the Phil's one Tory twice. Um, somebody else has won there twice. They're talking about Rom trying to become a multi-time winner. The farmers, they go through in the multi <clears throat> two or more times that, you know, player the list of players who have won the tournament two or more times, and they're like Phil too. I think there's somebody else too, and it's like Tiger. I think it's eight, eight. He won the Farmers eight times, like just numbers that again another one of those Tiger Woods statistics that makes you remember just how dominant he was. Yeah, you won't. Uh, that one, that one might that record might stay. Stay intact for a while, I have a feeling. Uh, before well, we move Rob's on. Rob's the only one who has a chance, but he can't seem to close out these damn events. I mean, I'm glad he hit the top five and the top ten because I had to pay up handsomely for those. But Glad you, know. you, glad you hey, said he's... something. Is he, is he uh, we about to call, start calling John Rahm a choker? <laughs> that was a rough start to the Sunday round. I was, I mean, I was one, thinking. One win, def- one win in the last he's... calendar year? Two. I know. I know. That's got to be haunting him. <laughs> haunting him he can't close it out the big one watch he'll win like he'll go play like waste management and win by three or something you know <laughs> really get him angry <laughs> not yet not much of a consolation prize uh before we move on to the uh around the tours i do have to quickly shout out victor hovland i feel very vindicated by by backing this guy he has three he has five uh three wins in his last five starts worldwide, including a top 30 and a top four or T fourth and a T 30 in that time frame, um, just for, to give it a little bit of depth. Um, where did I just see? Yeah. I see a lot being made online about, uh, Morikawa and Hovland now being number two and three in the world respectively and obviously those are guys that we talk about a lot not only independent of one another 
and Hunter loves Victor Hovland, but also the fact that they will forever be sort of compared. And boy, it's hard to I think most people would go with Morikawa as the superior player of the two, but Hovland's making a run at Colin here for uh you know potentially overtaking him at at, at some point and maybe not even too far away, but crazy to think they're number two and three in the world, right? Yeah, no. Victor it, Hovland is the number three ranked player in the world. He's never won a tournament in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> it's a world. It's a worldwide game. So he, he has four wins in his last 15 starts. John Rahm, Patrick Cantley, Colin Morikawa, Hideki, Jason Kokrak all have two wins in their last 15 starts. And I believe he was six back during um, Sunday's round this week and still won. Did you watch any of that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what I was watching. I was watching that in the morning. Yeah, there you go. And was it was it because it was given away by the leaders, or did he just go and like blitz the field on Sunday? I think he blitzed the field. You see, he was he was in a play. Oh, he shot six. He shot six under something like that. Sixers. He played really well on Sunday. Um, he was actually in a playoff with with Richard Bland, and Richard yeah. Richard turned pro. I want to say it was like within a within the year that Hovland was born. Yeah, I think that's 1998, right. I believe is what it was. So it's just, mm-hmm. which I mean that that just goes to show. I mean that's why I love golf. It, I mean, truly, that's a 24 year old versus a 40, a high 40 year old, and competing against each other. And it's yeah. just not it's not really feasible to see in any other sport outside, I guess, outside of Tom Brady. Yeah, so this is, I have one more thought on the top three in the world. And this is from the PGA Tao, which is a great follow for gamblers on Twitter. But world number one has one win in the last 15 months, which you've heard about ad nauseum on this podcast. World number two, or excuse me, world number three has never won in the United States. Just mentioned that, Victor Hovland. World number two, Colin Morikawa, ranks 205th in putting out of 230 qualified PGA Tour players since the start of the 2021 season. 205th out of 230 players in putting drive for shell putt for dough. Are we so sure about that? Shows you what an iron Colin Morikawa's strength of his game is his irons, his approach to the green. And probably everybody talks about driving. Everybody talks about short game. It is it remains probably the most overlooked part of the of the golf game and it shows you when you gain strokes approaching the green those are more valuable than gaining strokes other areas of the uh of your game because it uh makes it easier on your putter putter and it makes it up for bad drives so like that's it's connected to more of the golf game than than the short game the putting of the driving yeah, he must just be having a – I mean, there's definitely a direct I, – I feel like when he was playing well, was that all the way back in 2019 now? No, that couldn't have been. When did he When did he win? Uh, he went on his little streak. Was that just last summer or was that two summers ago? Two summers ago when he won uh, Harding Park. Yeah, I, I thought he was putting – was he not putting better there? Like, I feel like there's a direct correlation between how bad he's putting he now – and his poor performance. Yes, I think you're right. I think it's again like 
he's so good with the ball striking that when his putter is not terrible, kind of like a Justin Thomas situation. Because, I mean, those guys are, I think, number one. We're number one or number two in the ball striking stats last year. Like, when your putter is field average, you know, when you're a, when you're 70th out of 156 guys in the field instead of 125th out of 156 guys or whatever, you know, that's the difference of maybe a full stroke around four strokes a tournament and – you know, the difference between finishing 40th and 25th or finishing, you know, 15th and, and seventh or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's like, you can't win when you're putting that bad, but you can survive. And when your putting isn't terrible, you're, you're feel confident that you're almost assuredly going to be in contention, which I would, that's how I would describe Morikawa's game. So I think that's fair. I agree. I think he makes valid points. I mean, it maybe is not about putting as much as what it used to be. It's just on put. It's about putting the week that you like within that week, you know, because putting is just more uh, or less predictable. Yeah. All right. So we know my picks for the American Express. It's Pebble Beach. Do we want to talk about? Oh no! Let's go around the tours. I'm sorry, I got I got all I got way out ahead of my skis there. We got to talk about the uh, corn fairies back in action in Panama. We got to talk about the LPGA and the Champions Tour. Yeah, so uh, Champions Tour is still off now until uh, a couple more weeks. So we will keep you updated when they get back started. They just had that one event in Hawaii, and then they're off for another in the middle of February, roughly. Uh, the LPGA played um last week they had the Gainbridge lpga at boca rio in boca raton florida uh the winner was lydia ko fresh off of dropping her pxg sponsorship good for her i think i've always said it doesn't matter what kind of equipment you're playing unless you're playing pxg then it does matter but but list was playing pxg i don't think he he had a PXG hat. I, because I, I thought about that very same thing, and I was happy for Lydia. And this PXG thing is becoming kind of like a. It's becoming kind of comical. People, yeah, people are dropping little, them and performing well, like days later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the amazing. I think List is playing PXG. I mean, we could double check that. I'm sure PGA Tour has a what's in List bag or whatever. But the, one of the amazing things about Lydia is. I want to say, it sounds crazy to even say, because I think she, is she 20, 25, Hunter? She, I'll look it up. And she's one, I believe she's 20, 20 in like her low to mid 20s. And she has 15 LPGA victories, I believe. Yeah, something, it's, it's right around, right around that number. This is only the third victory in her 20s. Uh, she becomes the first player to reach 17 wins before the age of 25 since Nancy Lopez captured her 17th title in 1979. She joined the tour in 2014 and was winning events on the tour as early as 2012. So, so <laughs> she's, she's actually, yeah, she's went like she, she has like kind of a, she's that good. 
and she's coming out of a slump. Yeah. Almost like a, like a multi-year slump. You know, I mean, like it, she's real, she was better in her teens, technically speaking in terms of her results than uh, she is now, but yeah, 23 professional wins, 17 on the LPGA tour. And I believe it's three in her twenties. So most of those, most of her success came before she turned 20 and ho- hopefully she goes on another run here because she's a uh, potential like major, major force in, uh, in not just the LPGA, but like the world of golf. I mean, if we have a dom- another dominant player, I think that that's, you know, like she's not Tiger Woods. Maybe is she not like a Sorenstam. I don't know, but like, if there's somebody on that tour who represents that kind of potential, it's probably her. Agreed. Uh, it is worth mentioning Luke List does not play the PXG driver. He has the TaylorMade Sim 2 driver, Stealth, 3-Wood, Callaway, Utility Iron. He does play the PXG Irons, Vokey Wedges. See? See? So PXG still got something to hang their hand on. I'm pretty sure it's only the dri- <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's only the driver that they offer the the bonus on though. They're, have you heard that they have like a if you they offer a pretty substantial bonus if you win a tournament using a PXG driver. <laughs> that 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 bonus fund is still intact, believe it or not. I don't think anybody's won <laughs> using a PXG driver. Um, moving on. To this week's LPGA event, they are playing in Fort Myers uh, today through Sunday, the LPGA Drive-On Championship. This is uh, the inaugural event um, here in Fort Myers. I believe they are playing at Crown Crown Colony Golf Club in Fort Myers, which I've, never, I've, I've lived in Fort Myers for two winters, and I've never played there, never even heard of it. So we will keep you updated on um, Crown Colony Golf and Country Club. We'll keep you updated on how how everything goes there. Like I said, it is the inaugural event, so we will see. Okay, before we move on to the next thing. Yeah. Have you ever hit a PXG club? Yes. What was your reaction? What was your initial reaction to that? Or have you hit them a lot? I mean, like, it's, give me a little. What's your personal take on PXG? Apart from the uh, curse that they put on the golfers that they who play their clubs, I think they look really cool. Um, so I've hit the driver a lot more when I was in Naples. Um, they would have they had like fitting days where they would bring out a PXG person would come out and people would get would get fit for them. The driver looked the driver looked like a matte black I. 15 driver ping i15 driver and the matte black finish looked really nice i thought it was i thought it was way too spinny and i feel like you just hit moon balls with it i mean that could have been obviously could have been shafferly i just didn't really like the sound of it didn't really like the forgiveness of it but it did look nice so mm-hmm. for, for what for what that is worth i know it's it is obviously important to and they're really really expensive right yeah so expensive and that's at this point they were the first ones to do it but i just saw the price point on the the new stealth tailor-made stealth driver is um 
now I just have to check it to see. That's up to that price point now is six hundred dollars for the stealth driver. So if that, I think that is kind of, that is the new price point for new drivers, which is insane. And yes, I'll be hitting my Ping G four twenty five for a while. You just got that thing like last year. Calm down. I know. I love it. Speaking of hitting moon balls, though, <laughs> yeah. my swing and a ten and a half degree driver is a hell of a combination. Yeah, you don't just have to worry scoop, about it rolling into the waistline. Right up to the freaking sun, man. <laughs> <laughs> I swing a driver like a wedge. All right. Um, okay. Sorry for that brief aside. Just wanted no, to um, continue so- to pound the nail into the PXG coffin there. Yeah, no, it's it is nailed. It's nailed fully down. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's it's tough to see. I mean, I think they they just need somebody to play it and win with it <laughs> consistently. That's just that does not happen at all from anybody. Uh, moving on to the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, if you guys remember, they were in uh, they were in the Bahamas at the uh, Great Abaco Classic and Abaco Club. January 23rd through 26th. So this was their last second of uh, two Wednesday through Saturday finishes. Uh, Brandon Harkins took home the uh, crown. I believe it was in the playoff, wasn't it, Peter? Or was it just coming down the home? I know. um, No, I think it was a playoff. It was. So. I mean, do you want me to check it? I'm it was a playoff, yes. Against uh oh here we go. Uh Z Z Chang Dao, I believe. Yeah, that's, how you that's right. It. That's right. Yeah, I remember we were talking about that last week. That was a, that was an exciting finish. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean that's two uh way to go for the corn fair. I mean both both tournaments not televised, but uh two good finishes. So that's and Harkins got himself into the into Pebble Beach this week on, on account of his victory. I think that was due to an invitation, but he's got to be loving that. He's in Pebble Beach instead of Panama. That's not a bad trade. So so speaking of Panama, they are at the Panama Championship, so they are back to their Thursday through Sunday events. Panama Championship at the Panama Golf Club in Panama City, Panama. Uh, Davis Riley is the defending champion. Um, and Also in the field at Pebble Beach. He is. Mm-hmm. Look at all these guys getting there, getting their shots at glory. Riley's a good Riley's a good player. I think we'll see more good golf from him this year. I expect him to keep his tour card. He's already had a couple decent finishes. He may play well this week because the stats grayed out pretty well on him from 100 to 125, which a lot of the gambling community thinks is the crucial sort of mm-hmm. yardage for approach this week at Pebble because it's so much so short. And then uh, that's all I really have for the um, the corn ferry. I, I do think I don't know if you saw this um, on Sunday. They had the APGA event mm-hmm. at uh, Torrey Pines, mm-hmm. and the <laughs> tough tough. I mean, like, it was just kind of like I almost like awkward. But so this this uh, APGA. Is a tour that we've talked about. It's essentially for diversifying the game, giving opportunities to players that may not have them in um, in other circumstances. And fifty four of the sixty players that have membership 
opportunities are African American and a white guy won. So like it just kind of was like it just seemed awkward online. But I do think like I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Um he now I can't remember his name. Um he gave his sponsorship exemption that he got into this the Corn Ferry event here in the next couple of months. He gave it to the second place finisher. Um so kind of like a kind of a cool heartfelt. So I think he was already in the tournament, the Corn Ferry tournament, so it was kind of like he didn't need the exemption, but I don't know if you saw that. That had the that had the uh the golf Twitter streets and a little bit of a uh a tizzy on Sunday. I did see some of that and I I I resisted getting too into that because I really I felt like that conversation was probably gonna just frustrate me and seeing people's sort of reactions to that, but I don't know, man. That's a, that's a that's a that's a tough situation there in, in a lot of different ways, and I don't think anybody's really nobody did anything wrong. No, I don't think so. Not not even not even the slightest. I think um, not none of the players, not the tour. It seems like just people don't want a white guy to win on that tour and I don't know that's that's just a complicated conversation in terms of the motivations behind that kind of emotion yeah exactly no, I just thought it was um it's, it's, it was just kind of like an I don't know awkward is the right word but awkward is the word yes I think it was I think that even the winner in watching the video it looked like he felt a little awkward about it which is sad. I mean, you just never feel awkward winning a golf tournament. I mean, I don't feel great for that guy either. And probably he's taken some flat flack that's completely undeserved because, you know, obviously him winning the him playing the only thing that's under his control is how he plays, not how you feel about it or how the tour sets up their event or anything else. So, I mean, he's the last person that we should be pointing any sort of, if you're upset about the way that that went, that's not the guy to direct it at. Just that's one thing I'll say for sure. Yeah, I agree. So that's all Speaking of weird stories though. Have you read this piece in golf digest about Phil Mickelson accusing the PJ tour of having obnoxious quote, obnoxious greed. Well, they do have obnoxious greed. So I'm glad he's saying something. Yeah, no, so I, you're, I, I you're, did. You're on Phil's side here, huh? I did. I think it's um, like the short little clip that I saw or quote I saw was something along the lines of the PJ Tour has access to all of the shots that I've ever hit, and I don't have access to those shots, which I think is like total bullshit. Total bullshit. Like <laughs> he should be able to, he should be able to um, have access to any shot he's ever hit anytime he wants it. Any player should. This is all like, what What are they? And I know it, then it goes into like contracted and it's a business and all that baloney, but I, I don't, uh, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely some greed involved. <laughs> no I think that, that, yeah. And this is going to potentially be a, this is potentially going to be a turning point. You know, we've had Tiger come out and speak publicly in defense of the PJ tour, basically the opposite of what Phil just did. And I felt like that might quiet down the Norman and the, but now here we go again. 
you're going to see the comparisons on Twitter this week about the field in uh, the desert versus the field at Pebble Beach and how many more top 10 players and how many more top 20 and how many more top 30 and how many more top 50. And yes, it's a stronger field over there. And um, So I don't know. I wish that this, I would like this to go away because ultimately I don't think that what Norman is trying to do is what's right for the game of golf. Like to say that the PGA tour has more greed than Greg Norman. I don't know that that's fair. The PGA tour has a very mature business model and it might, some of these things may need to be changed. Like Phil saying that he had to pay the tour a million dollars every time he did one of the matches because they have some kind of rights over him as a, as a member of the tour. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's probably something that, yeah, if I were Phil Mickelson, I wouldn't be super happy about that. And granted, the tour has given him the platform to become Phil Mickelson. And to a certain degree, they are a part, they enable his success, including his financial success. Without the PGA Tour, Phil Mickelson would not be who he is today. However, there's probably... Uh, you know, a, a breaking point there at, at which those, you know, rights need to be released or that, that kind of thing needs to be looked at. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was interesting and it's something that's going to continue to be a part of the conversation surrounding the world of golf here. It looks like moving forward. Yeah. I, well, I'm sure we'll get into it, but, but I think the only reason people are, over in Saudi this week is solely because they don't want to play with a bunch of hacks for seven hour rounds, three straight days. Like, I think if you, I think we're looking like, I think if it was this, it was Saudi against a regular strong field event. I don't think it's like, I think people are going to play here, but I just think they don't like playing in this event. <laughs> I don't think they like playing, like I said, with the hacks. All these, all these terrible players. It takes seven hours to play. It doesn't sound very fun to me. Yeah, and you certainly feel that when you look at the field, especially now that uh, you know we've had a couple guys uh, pull out. Yeah, burgers, burgers back. I guess is still bothering him. I noticed some people said that they 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 saw him, you know, sort of attempting to deal with that while on TV while he was playing over the weekend. So that's not a huge surprise, Um, you know, but he's out. Uh, Salatoris is not playing. So it's really Cantley and Spieth. And then this sort of massive drop off in terms of, you know, world golf ranking and appeal. And I mean, you're talking about, I mean, let's look at the DraftKings pricing. Jason Day is the third most expensive player in this field uh which if you think that's shocking people are going to play him he's going to be high owned so that's even more shocking but you know just you're right the pro-am setup doesn't help no i don't think it helps at all i mean i think the only reason jordan's here is because um sponsor sponsor uh obligations this is this is an at&t event isn't it yeah, and I, I know a lot of people like like Jordan this week. So should we should we get into the yeah 
All right, so we're at Pebble, but we're on a three-course rota because we're playing a Pro-Am. So you only play Pebble twice if you make the cut. Three days. Um, so we play – what do we play? We play Pebble. We play uh, – what is it? Is it Spyglass, Hunter? And what's what's the other one? Uh, Spyglass and Monterey Peninsula. Monterey Peninsula, that's the one. So you'll play one round on each of those three in the first three days with your Pro-Am partner, and then we go back to Pebble for the final day on Sunday. Um, The courses are similar in the sense that they are close together, they're coastal, and they're short. Uh, Pebble is probably the most distinguishing characteristic of pebble beyond the views and just like where it is in the country and how beautiful it is, is how small the greens are. Um, I'm not sure if these are the smallest greens we play all year on tour, but it's, it's, you know, among the smallest greens. So you'll be hitting short shots into the greens, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have to scramble a little bit. So, um, History, just like at the farmers, seems to bear itself out here. For one thing, the average winner has the winner on average wins in their seventh try. So it's a course where experience matters. Therefore, history is a strong indicator of who will succeed. So like, you know, a lot of guys were going to be on burger cause he said uh, great success here. I think a lot of guys will um, be playing, you know, Kevin Streelman this week because he has great history. Cantlay has been, has been good here. Um, you know, you can really rely heavily take advantage of the events when you can rely on history it's not like you need to go crazy and only play the old guys who have played well here before but um you know if they've played well here in the past it means they're comfortable and they're here this week it means they're at least comfortable enough in the pro-am format to play competitive they like the golf course enough to deal with three days of six plus hour rounds. Um, Like those are, as Hunter pointed out, those are huge factors this week and who will play well. So like, I'm not playing quite as many of the really young guys unless they really line up um, form or fit. And I am going to rely a little bit more on the, on the history burger one here last year over McNeely. Uh, Taylor won here the year before that. Stallings uh, won in 2019. Um, Jason Day has had good history here. I mentioned Kevin Streelman has had good history here. Um, Russell Knox is a guy that uh, has played well here in the past. Jason Day, I mentioned, will get quite a bit of love coming off of a positive performance at the farmers obviously that was a wild hole out on 14 that kind of got him back into the tournament before he hit some wild shots coming in um 
Snedeker won here back in 15. Jimmy Walker has won here in 14. Vaughn Taylor won here in 2016. So, again, you get the feel for the kind of player. Uh, Spieth won here in 17 that wins here, which is you don't have to be long, not really about the driver this week. You can kind of, you know, you don't have to hit long clubs off the tee necessarily. And you have to be good with your short irons, your scrambling, and it certainly helps if you're comfortable on these greens or you, or you like these greens. So really, if you follow gamblers, you're going to hear a lot about guys emphasizing the 100 to 125 range of approach, who leads in proximity there. And guys are going to kind of, you know, highlight uh, – those players this week, which I think is, I think is fair. Like you, you're going to need to make some birdies and you'll need to be in the fairway and you'll need to be really good and controlled with your, with your short irons. So that's a good formula for success here. And that's why it makes sense that guys like, you know, like a guy like Nick Taylor can win here. A guy like Jimmy Walker can win here. Um, so that's kind of the 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 layout here and from a gambling perspective in terms of what you want to be what you want to be looking for and then of course you have to jive that with a crazy odds board as we talked about a little bit at the top with so few elite players in this field and therefore so many guys priced at numbers far below where they would be normally I can't get over the fact Maverick McNeil is <clears throat> Plus eighteen hundred. This board boards give me the heebie-jeebies. Just looking at it, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what to do with it. It's pretty <laughs> wild, huh? Yeah, I mean the 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 name that the first name that just comes to mind. I've I feel like this might have been where I jumped on him. I like Brian Harmon. I don't know what his. I don't know if he has any history here at all. But he's plus plus two twenty five to top twenty. I think I'm gonna. I think I will hop on that, and then I'm also just gonna keep riding um, Seamus Power. His his top twenty number is so low; it's plus one thirty eight. I'm so I don't know. If, I don't know if I can click on that, but I there are only I only count less than ten guys, uh, thirteen guys, no, ten guys that have a um, odds below plus two hundred to top twenty. So yeah. it's just kind of a weird. I, I don't. I can I can find a reason to say no to pretty much any of these guys this week. <laughs> well, I'm with you. I'm with you on Sheamus. I'm going to play Sheamus in, in DraftKings. I didn't outright him. His numbers all also 18, and I have some other bets. I mean, I'm I'm pretty heavy on two guys this week that I I, lo- I love both of them. So that's taken up a lot of my. Uh, budget for the week and then I'm playing quite a bit of DraftKings, but yeah, interesting odds board. You got Cantley at six to one, which frankly I'm not even sure that's short enough. I know it's a pro am and everything else, but given the history and the form, he's so superior to the second best player in this field that I could, you know six to one's about as low as you'll ever get, but I'm not sure it's that bad. I mean, I'm not going to bet it, but I'm playing Cantley at DraftKings because I'm not. I'm not going to fade this dude in the form that he's in. Spieth is sixteen to one. I've seen him on more cards 
than I thought I would. People uh, like him this week. I mentioned he's a former winner. Justin Rose, 16-1. to 1. Justin Rose coming off a good week at the Farmers. A lot of people are going to be on him this week. Uh, I will not be among those. Jason Day, I mentioned, is 18-1, to 1, along with Seamus Power and Maverick McNeely. I love Maverick McNeely. Call me crazy, but I'm in with everybody else um, on McNeely. I got it at 25 when it opened. I bet him to top 10. I bet him to top 5. So I'm among that group of clowns who's who's really bullish on McNeely here this year, who I think was was runner-up last year and is a local to the area and plays by far his best golf in, in California. Played well at the Farmers despite a – poor Sunday on a golf course that doesn't fit him nearly as well as this one does. Tringali 22 to one Fitzpatrick 25 Mito 35 with Lanto all the way down to 35. I bet that at 50. He's the other guy that I really like this week. Um, has had some good results here and I think is building some form. Um, grades out really well in the hundred to one twenty five range uh, has the past results here is into his career a little bit more, you know, I, I think he's, he's not a newbie here. So, uh, really like Lanto as well. Streelman who has great history is at 40 along with Hughes and Kisner Bazutenhoit getting a lot of love this week, 45 to one. Um, I sprinkled a little bit in DraftKings. I'm not nearly as heavy as some other people. Hoagie, who was second two weeks ago and has great history here, is 50 to 1. It's kind of interesting to me. Minwoo Lee, 50. Denny McCarthy, 50. Ryan Palmer, 50. And then, yeah, let's just go to the notables. Kucher, 55. Harmon, 60. I can see why you think that's good value. I haven't, I didn't notice his name on any of the past leaderboards, at least not up high when I looked. Hoffman at 60. He's been battling injury and hasn't played a lot. But, you know, we were riding Charlie pretty hard towards the end of last year. He usually plays well at the waste management. We're getting to that time of year. So I wouldn't be surprised. This seems like it could be a really good course for Charlie. So if you like that at 60, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Russell Knox, 65, good from the 100 to 125. Matt Jones, 65. Michael Thompson, 65, has a lot of good history here. Your boy, Aaron Rye, 80 to 1. Grayson Sig, 80 to 1. Former winner, Nick Taylor and Brant Snedeker, both 80 to 1. Um, I'm playing Chris Kirk in DraftKings. I like him. He's 80 to 1 to win outright. He's great in the 100 to 125, particularly so far this year. So, and he's very straight and consistent off the tee. So I like that as a as a play. And then the other guy that I'm playing fairly heavy in DraftKings. And I also bet top 20 had a pretty good week last week is Matthew Neesmith. And I think this is a great course for him. And he's one of the, you know, there's not a ton of value in this board as far as I'm concerned. Um, but he was one that stood out to me as probably being, as being priced, you know, more than fair at a hundred to one to outright. And, you know, plus 700 to, to top 10, for example. So pretty decent uh, numbers out there for finishing position on Matthew Neesmith, plus 350 to top 20 on DraftKings Sportsbook. That's not bad. Not bad at all. 
So, yeah, that's kind of what we're looking at for the AT&T. It's going to be fun. More primetime golf, beautiful golf course. Some unfamiliar guys will certainly be in the hunt and in contention. Um, and don't be surprised if Cantlay wins by four. Because he's playing that well right now. He loves this golf course. He loves playing golf in California. You know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that a six to one ticket cashes here this week, just as it was not outside the realm of possibility that a seven to one would cash last week on ROM or six and a half or whatever it was. And he ended up what tied for third. So these guys are priced this way for good reason. Exactly. Well, best of luck at the AT&T. Um, congratulations on, on Jim Harbaugh um, coming back to Michigan. Yeah, I'm getting text messages. Do you do a press conference or something this morning? Because people are texting me. Just <laughs> they really don't like him. No, I mean rightfully so. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like Michigan fans were like begging him to come back. Like for what reason? Oh, I don't. I I think Michigan fans are so many in number that we're always going to be split and never unified. And there's always a variety of opinions. Um, and they, there, there's, he is such a polarizing figure. Like my wife, who is a huge Michigan football fan, probably cares more about it than I do. Absolutely despises the man. She was, and she's also a Packers fan. She was thrilled at the prospect of him going to the Vikings and me, who's a slightly more pragmatic and certainly not a huge fan of Jim Harbaugh's. Um, can at least appreciate what he did last year, despite coming up short against Michigan State. That was still our best season in 24 years. I mean, that's most of my adult life. And given that it's February 3rd, would he have taken the Vikings job yesterday? I'm not really sure who would have been the head coach for Michigan football next season. And if it had been somebody from within the staff, that person you know, would have been quite obviously underqualified. So our, the alternatives available to us did not seem obviously better than keeping Harbaugh. So, you know, he's always going to, he's always going to generate sort of a wide range of opinions among the fan base because he's just flat weird. And some of his behavior is not, you know, like taking an interview on signing day is obviously a bad look. I mean, that will piss off Michigan fans, deservedly so. Yet at the same time, somebody like me can sit there and go, we're probably going to have a better record next year if he's the coach than the alternatives available to us at this stage. I believe that is true. You had no no successor in the the weights, that's for sure. I mean, people are like, yeah, Mike Hart will be the head coach. I'm like – Mike Hart has never been an offensive coordinator. He's a running's back, running backs coach for like three years in Indiana and then one year, two years at Michigan. Like, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. That guy's not qualified to be the head coach at the University of Michigan. Will he someday make a great head coach at the University of Michigan? Quite possibly. And I love that he's going to be a candidate down the road. But if you were eager to displace Jim Harbaugh in favor of Mike Hart, you're a little sideways. 
Well, I saw Tom Brady as a possibility, so I'm glad they yeah. got the, got this all taken care of before Tom, well, those Tom are had not, to step in. Yeah, those are not those are not serious people. <laughs> Tom Brady has no interest in coaching Michigan football. <laughs> uh, the thought's pretty funny though. Did you hear his comment about the Joe Burrow? It's like, yeah, it doesn't something something tongue in cheek, but it's like, I think the best thing he ever did was get out of that godforsaken place, Columbus, go to LSU. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. Rivalry gonna be still a, strong. Gonna be a gonna be an interesting Super Bowl. You're nine to one on the Rams, is still alive, baby. Oh, and I never told you. I oh god, oh, I I cashed that like months ago, cashed out. So I'm pretty. I'm I'm I'm. Cashed out. You couldn't have possibly made money on that, did you? No, I was just in a pinch. I wanted. I knew. I wanted my money back because I didn't think this was <laughs> after the Rams had lost. Like uh, they lost two or three, two out of three, or something like that. Middle of the, nice. middle of the nice. season. So yes. I. You should have been buying back in. Buy low, sell high. We'll work on that. No, I never really. I mean, I didn't. Uh, it was like a dollar. I lost like a dollar, I think, or something like that. I got it back for like $49 and I put in 50. Because I remember when you took it, you're like, I'm like, you must have paid nine to one for that or something. And you were like, yeah, I think it's eight to one. <laughs> I was like, that's a little short, Hunter. Yeah. But some... still here, here we are. So now I've, I've, I've in a way convinced myself that I actually have $400 on the Super Bowl in, in unrealized gains think about it because if i don't if i don't if they win that i would have won that money and i don't have it so i'm really i am rooting very heavily for the Bengals. i see that that's for good reason yeah. yes indeed and i want them to win i would prefer to see the Bengals win oh matthew stafford's gotta get his gotta get his super bowl on his first year away from the lions there's just it's just poetry no i'm so sick of, i'm so sick of the lions fans rooting for matthew stafford he left root for your own team yeah, I'd love to root for my own team. They don't ever play past January, December, whatever it is. The last month of the regular season. No, typically not. All right, good luck at Pebble. Yep, yeah, you too. All right, man. See ya.